So I think you've heard these words before, John 15, 1. I am the true vine, Jesus said. Jesus' words. Isn't this cool that we know what he said? This is so awesome. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You, he says to his followers on this last night of his life, that's who he's speaking to, some little inner circle of guys, maybe some, maybe some ladies, maybe more than 12, just a little room full of people there who loved him and followed him to the end. You are already clean, verse 3, because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. You've been talking about this all week or all the last 24 hours, right, Chuck? I am the vine, you are the branches, verse 5. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me, apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, notice how awesome this is, and notice Jesus was warning people. Jesus wasn't just a little cartoon putting his hand on your shoulder. Jesus is is, is a... He, he is, he was a man with, with edges and like a full personality. And notice how he's moving back and forth between like real invitation and like really nice things and then warnings, right? Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he's cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they're burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, one of the coolest verses in the whole Bible, you will ask what you desire and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. What's that next phrase say? Did Chuck talk about what abide means? I wasn't here on Thursday night. He did, right? What's it mean? Uh, What? Remain, stay connected. Yep. Live there, build your house there. Like some of you are at the like, Holiday Inn or maybe an Airbnb. You're staying there now, but that's not where you abide, right? You have some other place where you abide, some other home or apartment or whatever, wherever you live. And Jesus said, actually, from here on out, you might go to all kinds of places. You might get involved in all kinds of things, but abide, right? Abide in me. And in verse 9, abide in my love. Build your house in God's love. Chuck probably already talked about that, right? Reteaching his Bible say. Oh, isn't that cool? You, where do you want to build your house? You can build your house in the love of God. Verse 10. If you keep my commandments, how do you build your house in the, in the love of God? He tells us in verse 10. Jesus is very clear. Like studying the Bible is not about finding like secret messages. Every third Hebrew letter spells I love you backwards. Wow. <laughs> Just thank you, God. It's not how it works. And maybe that's true. I don't even know. Who knows? But that has nothing to do with anything, right? Look what he says. You can build your house. You can live in God's love. How do you do that? Verse 10, you keep his commandments. Commandments, that can seem so boring, right? Like, oh, rules. Jesus is like, rules. I'm telling you how you're going to live in my love. Don't you want to live in my love or you want to live in the darkness? Where do you want to live? Online? Where do you live? In, in people envying you or you envying people? Where do you want to live? In lust? You want to live on, I don't even, we could say the name of horrible places and websites, couldn't we? You want to live in the love of God. And Jesus says, well then, 
If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. In other words, Jesus is like, trust me, this is a better life. I do it. Jesus spent 33 years at least walking around, and he lived in God's love. Imagine that. Keep my commandments and you will abide in my love. Verse 11, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, may abide in you. Same word in the Greek. My joy may abide in you. Think how much we struggle inside, right? A lot of us probably this year. There were times this year where probably the thing that was abiding in you was not joy. I'm just going to guess. You don't have to raise your hands. Some of you had big struggles this year, right? Depression, anxiety, anger, deadness inside. Can't feel anything, probably. And some of you, it's, a lot of you probably are young enough. It's not even your fault. Maybe it's something that happened to you. Maybe it happened to you this year. Maybe it happened to you. 10 years ago, who knows? But Jesus says, his joy can abide in us. He says, I spoke these things to you, verse 11, so that my joy would remain in you. Isn't that awesome? What does God want to you ha- for you to have inside your heart, inside of you? What does he want to be the thing like that's most there? Not the anxiety of the world. The joy of God. Isn't that awesome? Verse 12. This is my commandment. Okay, we need to keep your commandments. Then he makes it singular. See, you know grammar's really exciting? The word commandment in verse 10, singular or plural, it's really exciting. Don't look at the person who thinks it's exciting. They already, they're just ahead of you. They're just ahead of you. Is the word commandment singular or plural in verse 10? Thank you, philosopher over there. What about in verse 13, or verse 12? Singular. See, we have some English is alive and well in this room. This is my commandment. He makes it singular that you may love one another as I have loved you. Now, here's our verse for tonight. Greater love has no one than this. Any of you ever read this verse before? It's a good verse, right? Kind of convicting. You ever read it and you'd be like, oh, I thought I loved my friends, but I don't want to die for them, right? I mean, just honestly, like you start feeling like Jesus knows that. He's doing, it. He's doing this to us on purpose. Jesus is challenging us. But he was saying he's talking like a coach. I think sometimes the Holy Spirit talks like a coach. And Jesus says, let me tell you about love. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if, I do, if you do whatever I command you. Now, that verse 14 would sound like nonsense to the average person. They're like, I'm your friend if I do whatever you command me to do. Think about that. Think about if you said that. You can be my friend. Just do whatever I command you to do. Anyway. <laughs> No, I'm not really interested in that. That's weird. But Jesus said it. And here's, you want to to know a way to to start growing really quickly? I'm just going to give you, this is a clue to like jumpstart spiritual growth. You read something in the Bible and your brain, because we have normal human brains, right? It goes like this. That's dumb. That's the first step. No, this is real, right? That's the first step. Here's the second step. Well, if Jesus said it, and he's not dumb, and he's wise, and he knows exactly what's true. And he's talking about love and joy and life, because this whole vine thing, right? And I can struggle to feel unloving, unloved, unjoyful, and not alive at all. Maybe Jesus knows what he's talking about. And this is step two. And you go, okay. And then here's step three. Lord, verse 14 doesn't really make any sense to me. But will you, like, bend my brain so 
so I can have the kind of mind that this would actually make sense to me? That when I read this, I would be like, yes. Because I think that there's keys here to how to find love and joy and life, and I really need them. Does that make sense? And so you read things in the Bible, and they're confusing, and you go, okay. Or maybe you're like, that's no way. That's just not, that's like Bible talk. It's not real, right? But then you stop. That's the first step. And remember the second step. You just go, it must be real. I must be the messed up ones. Maybe our world looks the way it looks because we're all messed up in our brains. I think that's probably a pretty good bet right now, don't you? Thank you. And so maybe we should stop thinking we have things figured out, America. And maybe we should say, you know who has things figured out? The best man who ever lived. The Lord, the king, whose word is going to be law one day. But right now he invites anyone to follow him, right? So that's John 15, 1 through 14. If you keep your finger there, well, you don't even have to keep your finger there. If you flip back just a couple pages to John 10, verse 11, I want to show you how this, this all of John connects, but this passage connects in, in, a, in a really sort of interesting little way. I am the good shepherd, John 10, 11, the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep, but a hireling who's not the shepherd, just someone the shepherd hired, he's doing this for, it's a job, the one who does not own the sheep, he sees the wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and he, he runs away. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he's a hireling. He doesn't care about his sheep. But I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and I am known by my own. Who are these sheep Jesus is talking about? I hope so. You should, any, any one of us in this room tonight, you can be included in this. And if you've been feeling lost and scattered and alone, it's because you need a shepherd. And actually, it's because you need the good shepherd. There's a lot of shepherds out there. And what they are is hirelings. And they're not protecting you from the wolf. In fact, some of them are paid by the wolf to let the wolf get into your life. And they're willing to do that for money, too. And they leave the door open for the wolf. In fact, they build doors for teenagers to buy. And the whole point of the door is that the wolf can get into your life. Am I lying to you? And they make money off it. And the wolf eats the sheep. He devours them. And for some of you, that's actually more real than a metaphor. You know what I'm talking about, right? And what you need and who you need is the good shepherd. But look how Jesus defines the good shepherd. Verse 11, the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. How do you know who, you, who should you follow? Who should you listen to? Who should you let protect you? The one who died for you. And Jesus said in John 15, we read it, greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life for his friends. So I'm going to connect a couple dots here, and then we're going right into the verses about communion, which we're going to take communion tonight, right? As the true vine, Jesus invites us to find our life in him. You can understand that at 14. Right? Because we all have things before we know Jesus, and they're like the vine. T- you maybe talked about this, right? Sorry, I should have been here. I'm, I wish I didn't miss your study. But th- whatever you think like, gives you life, whatever gets you through the day, right? Whatever you're excited to get home to when school's over, or whatever, 
just it makes you feel alive. We use these terms. Jesus says, I'm the true that. Jesus actually has real life for our souls, right? He invites us to find our life in him. And then he's the good shepherd, so he lays down his life for us. That's why he's the true vine, by the way, but that's another Bible study. Because Jesus laid down his life for us, we can find our life in him. Now keep that in your mind, and if you don't mind, turn one more place to the right to the book of 1 Corinthians. So it's past the book of Acts, past Romans, and then you hit a book called, it's a letter called 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. It's called that because it was the first letter that we have that was written to a group of people in the city of Corinth, hence they were called Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. Now, some of you know this. This letter is written by a man named Paul, and he's writing to a church in the city of Corinth, and he's teaching them a bunch of different things in this letter. They had a bunch of messed up things going on in their church. You know, you might not know this, but some churches aren't perfect. All the churches here are perfect, but there are churches out there where messed up things happen, and Corinth was one of those churches, and so the Apostle Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit, and he wrote this letter to them to try to help correct a bunch of their mistakes. Evidently, they had some trouble with the way they were receiving communion, taking you know, the body and blood of Christ, and he was instructing them as to like what they were even supposed to be doing. And in the middle of that little bit of teaching in verse 23, if you read with me, this is where we're going tonight. He says, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks... He broke it and he said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. How many of you ever heard these words before? Okay, most of us. If you haven't, this really happened. And Paul's telling us there was a night when this happened. Jesus took, he lifted up some bread. Same night that John 15 happened. Same night as all the words in John 15. Jesus took some bread and he, and he broke it in front of his closest followers. And he said this, take and eat. So this must have been so weird. Think about what this was like. He breaks some bread and he looks at them. He says, eat this. This is my body. But I don't, I, I don't think it was weird. If it was, it was probably weird for like a split second and then it must have passed. They must have been like, you know when you just know something really deep is happening? And maybe you're not really into deep things. Maybe you're, you know. I mostly liked jokes in high school. That was like my big thing, you know, jokes. Some, you probably never heard of jokes, but I liked jokes in high school, right? But then, even if you're a person that likes jokes, or maybe you just like sports or whatever, everyone has a place where you get to, and you're like, oh, this is deep. You're like, this is real. And I think they realize that right off the bat. He's like holding out bread, and he's like, pass this around. And they're taking it, and they're each doing what? This is so crazy, isn't it? They're ripping off a piece. Our bread is pre-ripped, but they were ripping off a piece. And as they're doing that, he's like, this is my body. And they must have been like, and, he, and they're breaking the bread, and he goes, it's broken for you. Now, they hadn't seen him be crucified yet, but they were about to in just a few hours, right? And so he's connecting, he's giving them these words so that when they see him on the cross, I think he wants these words ringing in their minds, and he's giving them a sensory thing, right? Like they're going to feel something and eat something. He's, he's giving them an experience, and he's saying, do this remembering me. Do you see that in verse 24? As often as you eat this, we know he said in another place, do this and remember to me. So he's like, from now on, do this, even when I'm not with you, and remember me. So he didn't give them a photograph to remember him by. He gave them a, a thing to do together. 
Don't look at a picture to remember me. Get together and do this and remember that my body was broken for you. And in the same manner, verse 25, he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often, Paul writes, as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So Jesus asked his followers to remember that his body was broken and his blood was shed. In other words, as I said a second ago, he asked us to remember his death. So this continues down through the ages. And if you're one of the followers of Christ, you are included in this. It started with, you know, 12, 30, whatever, whoever was in that room that day. And now, since then, there's been billions. Isn't that amazing? And so here's a little chunk of them. And maybe that doesn't include everyone in this room, but you're all invited into that. And it includes, I'm sure, most of us in this room. And so he told us to remember his death. Verse 26, if you look at verse 26, as often as you do this. Why did Jesus ask us to remember his death? It's because we need constant reminders. And he says, you proclaim. That means the world needs to know. We need to be reminded of Jesus' death. And the world needs to know about Jesus' death. And so this is how we do that until Jesus comes. But I want to ask a question tonight before we actually take communion. I just want to ask this. Why do we need to remember Jesus' death? Maybe you've never asked that before. Like, why do we need to do that? Why is that important other than just knowing? Yes. Are you, gonna, are you answering the question? Yeah. Wow. Amen to that, brother. This is true. Without the death, there cannot be resurrection. Interestingly enough, this, you can ponder this. This is a very interesting question. Uh, it's, I would have thought that Jesus would have given us a feast to remember his resurrection. That would just make more sense to me. Isn't it interesting he gave us something to remember his death? I don't know. Just, you can think about that. But... I wanna, I'm going to actually give you three. Thank you for answering the question. This is a very honest young man. But let me give you my three answers, I think, why we need, to, we need something to remind us of Jesus' death. So why was this wise and helpful for Jesus to do? The first thing is he died for us because we needed him to. Just think about that. We needed Jesus to die for us. This is like you might be like, I know that, but, but think about the implications. You know what the word implications means, right? Implications. It's a college word. Some of you are going to go to college. You need to know the word implications. Think about the implications of the fact. Think about what it means. That I needed Jesus to die for me. It means that our sin was a big deal. Did you hear that? Don't get tired. The fact that Jesus had to die for you means that your sin was a big deal. And if I don't remember that Jesus died for me, if I begin to forget that Jesus died for me, I get tempted to think that my sin is no big deal. Do you see how that works? It's just like as sure as the day follows the night. If I start to forget, if I don't remind myself constantly, regularly, that Jesus died for me, I start to think my sin is no, is no big deal. And then I won't take my sin seriously. If you don't think your sin is a big deal... I mean, there's an off chance some of you are in this state right now. You've you begun to think. And maybe when you were 11, you knew it was a big deal. But something's happened in the last three or four years. You started to think it's not a big deal. Is there anything in your life that when you were 10 or 11, you thought was a big deal? It was bad. And now you don't think it's bad anymore. And it's just so easy. It can happen to any of us. 
And then I don't take my sins seriously. And then if that happens to you, then you don't confess your sins to God and you don't repent in turn. Why would you confess something to God that's no big deal, right? Why would you repent of something that's no big deal, right? I don't repent of eating, you know, avocado salsa because it's not spiritually significant. It's good and I'm never going to repent of it. The only things you repent of are the things that are spiritually, that matter, that are a big deal. And you get so tempted to think sin's not a big deal. And if I don't, please listen to this. If I never turn away from my sins, my sins will send me to hell. That's what the Bible says. Adults, am I lying? That's what the Bible says, right? So this is a big deal that we would have something to remind us that, that we needed Jesus to die because our sin is such a big deal. So when we remember Jesus by taking the bread and the cup, which we're going to do tonight, we rem- I remember, when I do that, I remember that my sin is such a big deal that Jesus had to die for it. And I'd like you to think that when you're taking it tonight. You're going to hold this, we hold these things in our hand, and we go, my sin was such a big deal. This is for me to remember that Jesus' body was broken and that his blood was shed. Second, Why is it important for us to have a reminder that Jesus died for us? Two is remembering Jesus' death helps us remember that he died for us because he loved us. So it helps us remember that we needed him to die because our sin was a big deal. That's one. And two is we remember that he died for us because he loved us. If I, follow me here, if I I forget, if I begin to forget that Jesus died for me, I'm going to get tempted to forget that God loves me. It's really easy. And then when bad things happen to me, I'll think that God forgot me or that he just doesn't love me anymore, doesn't care. And what most of us end up doing then is we wait for something good to happen to us so that we can feel like God loves us again. And it can become a vicious circle, right? You have a good day, you feel like God loves you. You have a bad day, you feel like God doesn't love you. You have like 10 bad days in a row or you have a bad year or a bad five years. And you can start being like, I don't, I thought God loved me when I was nine, but everyone thinks God loves them when they're nine, right? But, you know, now you're, maybe you're 15 and you're like, yeah, it's been a long time since I felt like God loves me. But Jesus says, we read it tonight, there's no greater love someone can show than to lay down his life for me. That's, those are the words of Christ, Right? So when we remember Jesus by taking the bread and the cup, which you're going to do tonight, we remind ourselves that Jesus loves us. And we remember that no matter what happens, the way we know that God loves us, listen to this, please. No matter what happens, the way we know that God loves us is that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. It's not that our economy holds together and we can go to college. That is not how we know God loves us, right? It's, you think of all the things that you, you could hope never happened to you. None, God's love is not dependent on those bad things never happening to us, right? Do you ever read some his, something in history and you'd be like, you know, in school, you're like, I'm glad I didn't live then. Oh, it's horrible, right? You ever think that? Maybe not. If you read history, you pretty much always think that. I hope I never go through anything. I hope there's never World War III. It'd be awful. What would I do, right? 
But the way I know that God loves me is not that he keeps me from going through World War III, right? It's that Jesus died for me. And then when bad things happen to us, we can know that we don't need to worry that those things mean that God doesn't love us. If Jesus died for us, we can know God loves us. And that's it. And when you take the bread and the cup, you say, by this I know that Christ loves me. He died on the cross for my sins. And nothing's ever going to change that. Isn't that awesome? Three, he died for us to show us what true love was so that we could love other people this way too. So by remembering Jesus' death helps us remember that he died for us to show us what true love was so that we could love other people that way. So the same night he was breaking the bread, we read it, he was telling them that his main command was for them to love each other. Remember that? The same night. This all happened at the same time. So he was telling them that his body was going to be broken, and he was telling them that that was how he was going to show them his love for them, and he was telling them to love each other the way he loved them, us. If they got tempted to forget how Jesus loved them, and to forget how to love each other, they would be reminded the next time they took communion. So you take it, you break the bread, you take the cup, you remember, my sin was a big deal, Jesus had to die for me. And you remember, no matter what's going on in my life, Jesus died for me, it means God loves me. And you remember, you know what? Jesus wants me to love others this way. Three big things that we're remembering when we do this. Now let me just say three things in response to that. The world around us tells us that sin is no big deal. So again, the first reason we need to we need to remember that Jesus died because my sin was such a big deal. But doesn't the world around excuse me, doesn't the world around you tell you that sin is no big deal? The world tells you you don't need to be forgiven. In fact, they write songs that explicitly tell you that you don't need to be forgiven for anything. That that, that would be like a psychologically harming thing for you to think. Right? That's what all the big stars believe. Don't let anyone tell you you need to be forgiven. And the voice inside us often tells us when we've done something bad. Isn't it weird? The world tells you you don't need to be forgiven. But have any of you ever done something? Maybe, maybe, you've done, maybe, maybe you've done something bad. Maybe you carry around guilt inside. Isn't it weird? The other side of the coin can get us too. Maybe some of you are here tonight and you're young. It's so sad. But you already are thinking like there's something in your life like you would never be forgiven for. Isn't it weird how Satan can get us both ways? He can get us thinking our sin is no big deal. He can get us thinking there's no forgiveness. But tonight, that when, when you take the bread and the cup, and when you eat and drink it, remember that Jesus died for you because your sin was a big deal and because he wanted to do the one thing powerful enough to forgive you for all of it. That's what we're holding in our hands. And again, sometimes we can feel like God doesn't love us. You pain in your life, it can be easy to feel that way. But tonight, when you take the bread and the cup, remember that Jesus died for you because it was the most loving thing he could do. It is. It was. The biggest problem we have is actually not the hard things that happen to us in this life. You know, hard things can be so painful that any normal person would think that was the biggest problem we have. You might be facing something right now. It might be big. You might tell me about it. It might take you 20 minutes to tell me about it. And I might walk away like, oh, Lord, help them. As a pastor, it's what you do. You walk away sometimes and you go, I don't, you got to help this person, Lord. I can't even believe what they have to go through right now, right? But even if that's where you're at, that's not the biggest problem 
that we have is the hard things we face in our life. God actually tells us to expect all that. The biggest problem we have as humans is that our sin will send us to hell and will suffer forever. That's the biggest problem every man and woman faces. So that means that when Jesus died, he already took care of our biggest problem. And he did it because he loved us. So take the bread and the cup and remind yourself, God loves me and I know it because of Jesus' broken body and his shed blood. And then tell God, thank you for loving me. So you do and you hold those things in your hand. Lord Jesus, I'm remembering this tonight. Thank you for loving me. And finally, to reiterate the third point, we remember how Jesus tells us to love each other. You know, other people can be hard to love. You might not know that. You might have perfect friends. Most of you do, I know. Friends that are really easy to love and probably everyone in your school is really easy to love. Probably your teachers are easy to love, right? All the kids on your, uh, your basketball team, really easy to love. Kids in the locker room, super easy to love in the locker room. Right? Everyone's really kind in the locker room. Really godly. Everyone online, really easy to love, right? You know, people don't, you ever, you ever get to this point where like, nobody deserves my love? And not in a bad way, just like, everyone, you, you can get really cynical. I was, by, by the time I was about halfway through high school, I was like, everyone's a jerk. I didn't realize how that included me, but I, that was lost on me. I, was, I stood alone, righteous in the universe, right? But you can get really cynical, really jaded about people. People can be hard to love. They can hurt us. But tonight, when you take the bread and the cup, remember that Jesus died for you to show you how to love people and also to reconnect you to God. And here's where we come back to John 15. Back in John 15, you can turn there if you want one more time. When we remember Jesus' death, we remember that when he died so our sins could be forgiven, when he did that, what he was doing was reconnecting us back to God. The only reason you can abide in the vine, the only reason you can be connected to God is because Jesus died for us, right? A lot of us know this. Our sins separated us from God. They had severed that little branch. It wasn't touching the vine anymore. It couldn't get sap or water or whatever out of the vine. But Christ died for me to reconnect me back to God. And we need to remember that. You hold the cup and the bread in your hands and remember, Lord, thank you for dying so that I could be connected to you, so that I could have the life of the vine in me, the thing we're talking about this week, so that I could actually have that. Look at verse 4 and 5 again in chapter 15. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, right? And he goes on. If you're connected to Jesus, you will bear fruit like a branch on a vine. And that fruit is what he says in verse 12. It's the fruit of loving each other, right? It's really easy to forget what love really is. When we take communion, we don't just remember that Jesus loved us. This is really important for our day and age. It's actually really important for you. If you're under 18 here, massively important. Another thing communion helps us. You don't just remember that, Je- that Jesus loved us. We remember how Jesus loved us. He laid his life down. Again, today... There's a lot of confusion about what love is. Love's a buzzword, right? Everyone uses it. 
Love is love. One of the wisest statements ever created. Genius. Right? Powerful. Big word. And everyone's confused about what love really is. Jesus shows us true love. Ready? You can boil it down to one sentence. Love doesn't just lay its life down. Love lays its life down to help someone out of sin so they can escape death, which means true love understands what sin is. It is never loving to tell your friend that they should keep sinning if that's what makes them happy. That is the opposite of love as Jesus defines it. He did not die on the cross so that we could run down the road of sin celebrating all the way, waving our flags till we get to hell. That's not what Jesus died for. He did not hang on the cross so we could just be our messed up selves and have everyone give us a thumbs up and then just die in our depression, America. That's not what Jesus loved us. Is that, is that what the cross was about? No, no. The cross was God saying, you might feel like the things that have happened to you are so powerful that you could never escape them. And you might feel like the things inside of you, you know what I'm going to say, are so powerful that you could never turn away from them. But God's love is stronger. And the cross is more powerful. That's what the, the love of, of Jesus, the way he loved us is to lay his life down to remove our sin from us, to separate, to kill our sin. Death to pride. That's what the cross says. Do you hear me? And life for young men and women. Life for you. Forgiveness for you. God for you. Light for you. And death to all that porn. And death to that depression. That's the cross. It all went on Jesus. They wrapped him in a rainbow flag and God poured his wrath out on him and he died under it. And if that's you tonight, he died to free you from that. Do you hear what we're saying? This is, this is the word of God. This isn't me being all intense. This is broken bread. And we don't have wine because we don't drink here at Calvary Chapel, but <laughs> the fruit of the vine the body and the blood of Christ, right? This is Jesus saying, remember that I laid my life down so that you and your friends can escape sin and death. Love understands what sin really is. Love understands what really kills people and what really makes them alive. And love does whatever it can do to help people get away from sin and death. And that, was what, that is what Jesus was doing on the cross. And you know it. You know that. All I'm doing is just highlighting things most of you already know. So tonight, take the cup and remember three things and the bread. My sin was such a big deal that Jesus had to die for it. But he did die for it because he loves me so much. And now that my sin is forgiven, Jesus wants to give me the strength I need to love others the way he loved me. You have people in your life that need someone that loves them enough to pay the price to help them escape their sin. I don't mean that you die for them. But is it going to cost you? Is it going to cost us maybe to help someone, to try to help them, to escape their sin? No, it might, right? Maybe it wouldn't have 
back when Barack Obama was president, but it's going to now, probably, right? But that's okay, because Jesus is the true vine, and he's the good shepherd, and he already laid his life down for the sheep to keep the wolves away and to give us everything we need for life and godliness. I want to read three verses in First Peter, and then I'm going to pick up my guitar, and Chuck's going to give you the next bit of instruction. I'm just going to read this. First Peter chapter 2, He committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he committed himself to him who judges righteously. He himself bore our sins in his own body, on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you are healed.